Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to my podcast. Oh my goodness, I have tried so many times to record this. This is my third time and some things always happen. So hopefully this one will be the winner. Um, so before we get started, of course, I want to thank everybody for all of your support, for listening, for sharing, for talking about uh, my story. Um, I'm starting to get feedback, not only you know, people who are listening and have been touched, but also that I did hear last night, people are starting to talk about this um, series that I'm doing. Um, these are people that I know personally, um, but hopefully, and this is my whole reason for doing this, is to get people to start talking in general, not about me, but about um, domestic violence and child abuse. It's something that we know about it. There's a lot of professional commentary on it. There are some people who are coming out now and starting to tell their story, and it is something that we need to talk about. So thank you for that as well. Um, I do want to let let you know that there may be a trigger warning, and if you are not able to listen to this podcast, that's okay. I don't want to upset anybody or put them in a state of anxiety. Um, you know, but I do feel like I need to speak the truth. And finally, if you or someone you know may be in a situation where they're looking at domestic violence, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233, and I will put that in the description box as well. Please stay safe, and here we go. Let's begin. So, being an adult after being a child of abuse. Um, one of the things, or two of the things, however you want to look at it, is um, there's a lot of self-hatred and a lot of self-blame. There's also a lot of responsibility that comes with being a child abuse survivor or victim. And... I'm not saying that this responsibility is um, appropriate, but it's there. So if I can explain that, self-hatred and self-blame, we feel responsible for everything. We are programmed to believe that the abuse is our fault, that if something doesn't work out right, it's our fault. There's something that we could have done better to help whatever happened not be the way that it was. Uh, we are programmed to believe that the person who's abusing us, our actions or our lack of actions, however it's communicated to us, that it's our fault. And we spend a lot of time trying to anticipate what we do if it will set someone off. So um, there's that feeling of walking on eggshells and waiting for the other shoe to drop, those kind of things, and trying to avoid confrontations. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with it. And like I said, it's not necessarily a healthy responsibility, but it is, it is there. Um, and a lot of times... This 
this creeps over into other aspects of our lives. So for me and my personal experience with this, it's made me a little bit of an overachiever um, in school. You know, I had told in a previous episode, I think, that um, I threw myself into school. And it was an escape for me, but it was also expected that I would get A's and B's, even though C is an acceptable grade. Um, I had to get A's and B's because in my household, C was not acceptable. And God help you if you got a D or an F. I don't even know what would have happened. I got lucky in that respect. Um, but in my work life as well, I was very good at my job. I always tried to do better than what was expected. Um, and it, it did help me professionally in a lot of, a lot of um, areas. So... I guess there's a plus side to that if you can take some of these survivor skills and apply them to your everyday life but inside your head it becomes very stressful because you're always thinking that there's going to be something wrong that it's not good enough at least for me so those are probably the two biggest root um, messages or, or phenomenons in my brain that motivate me or control how I think and how I behave. So I did get professional help and I do recommend that um, if you're trying to recover from something like this that you get some kind of professional help and you can go through individual therapy and groups are both helpful. But I, I do want to make a note that if you seek professional help with a, a counselor or social worker, you want to make sure that it is somebody who has some kind of accreditation or specialty in uh, domestic violence. Not all professionals are qualified or even understand what happens, or they may only understand, say, on a um, elementary level, if it's you know part of their their education, but not as a specialist. Okay, so like for some perspective or uh, an analogy that you can understand like you can go to a general practitioner and they have kind of a general knowledge of everything for, as far as medical conditions but if you get cancer you want to go to an oncologist so it's the same thing as far as your mental health that's what I'm recommending is that instead of just going to a counselor who has a general knowledge of mental health you want to find somebody who specializes in domestic violence and the phenomenon that goes on with that um we're also really good at keeping secrets. We're, we don't talk about things very much. Now, I went through a period where all I did was talk about it, but that was part of my healing. Um, in the beginning, before I decided to heal, and then after I felt like I was at a point where I was comfortable with how I had progressed, there was that, that a time of silence. Up until very recently, I had been very quiet about... Um, my past and my history of abuse I really didn't talk about it much and there's a couple reasons for this um, for one thing we're obviously we're programmed into keeping our mouth shut but also as far as once you get out of childhood abuse you know there's some of the silence is because who wants to relive the pain of what you went through you know um that pain 
in a therapeutic setting is is important but just in your day-to-day -day life when you're you know with your friends and coworkers and so on and so forth just talking about it can be very painful and people don't want to don't want to relive it i certainly didn't want to relive it and to this day talking about some of these things i get feelings of anxiety um and i can tell you that it can be hard for your future relationships for people who you partner with um if they don't know what happened to you in the past and why you're this way or maybe why you're working through something it could be very hard for them to understand and just as a side note um, that may be hard for you to get support if the person that you're with doesn't know what you're going through or doesn't understand and you may need their support so it is important to start talking about your situation as well and even um, Okay, so for example, the person that I'm with now, and I've been with this person for a long, long time, and, um, you know, we have a good relationship, but I don't talk with him about what went on in my marriage very much. He has a general idea, but he really doesn't want to know, because it hurts him to know that somebody hurt me, so um, I accept that, and I met him at a point in my life where I was able to accept the fact that he knows that he knows that I have some issues he's had to deal with a couple things throughout the years moments but on a day-to-day -day basis thankfully I'm healed enough that it's not an everyday thing that he has to deal with but just be aware of that too that it's very hard for some people to hear some of the things that you've gone through which leads me to another topic and that is trust issues we have a lot of problems with trust issues. Um, the first one is, are you going to hurt me? You know, um, we, we have trouble trusting people. And as you're learning about red flags, it can be very difficult for a new person as you're getting to know them and they're trying to get to know you and you see somebody do something and, and there's a red flag and, you know, you're sitting here thinking, is this person a jerk? Are they going to do something to me? Actually, to be honest with you, and I'm going to talk about dating in another episode, but if you're just coming into um, the, the dating scene after a breakup with a domestic partner, and um, especially if you've been out of it for a while, and you're also kind of new in your recovery, you're just, you know, learning some things over again, or for the first time, I would say, trust your instincts, better safe than sorry. And I'm sorry for the people who don't understand, or maybe just made a mistake and put a flag up, either to me or to somebody who you may meet in the future. But this is a safety issue. Um, it may not be something that you intended. But we are learning to take care of ourselves. Um, a lot of us struggle with suicidal tendencies. Um, you know, I've had that struggle myself, and thankfully I'm past that. Um, I did learn that my life is valuable, 
even though I didn't feel personally valuable, I did learn that eventually, but this is a big deal. Um, when you don't feel like you have any self-worth or self-esteem, that nobody really loves you, and that for some reason God made a mistake when he made you, you know, suicide may feel like the only way, um, and we know how serious that is. Other things that children or adults who survive child abuse is they get into substance abuse. And we know that a lot of substance abuse is, um, you know, uh, self-medicating for some other kind of pain. PTSD is another big deal. And here, you know, this is something that was interesting. When um, I was going to college, I was taking a psychology course and... Um, was actually doing some research on prostitution and as I was doing that you know there's um, statistics that say a lot of prostitutes come from a history of child abuse and at the time when I was doing this PTSD was generally regarded as a uh, mental health disorder for soldiers not so much for other people in civilian life and um I had made an observation that a lot of these children or these women, I say women because that's, you know, who I relate to the most, but it could be men as well, um, who go into prostitution are probably suffering from PTSD. And um, now, since then, we've come to recognize that there are a lot of things that can cause PTSD, but guaranteed there's probably some PTSD if you have some sort of violence in your in your history um, depression anxiety I've mentioned a couple times that even just when I go through these things it does give me feelings of anxiety and obviously if you're feeling like you know you're you're worthless and you're never able to do anything right and your self-esteem is in the pit you know depression is a big deal um, there are, here's another one, and this is anger, and I want to tell you a little story about anger. Well, first of all, statistically, we know that um, there's this familial, familial, within families, cycle of violence, so children who grow up being abused are more likely to be abusive as they grow older, either to their children or to their spouses, and, um, I can say that that is something that is in my family, sad to say, at least on my mother's side, not so much on my father's side, but definitely on my mother's side that she had a history of abuse from several people, uh, and she kind of passed it along, you know, she didn't break that cycle, so, um, but my personal experience with anger, so I had told you, I think previously, that I was not allowed to express any kind of negative emotion. If I was mad about something that my mother did to me that was wrong or not fair, um, I had to keep a straight face. And so I learned how to stuff my anger. And um, there was one night I had gone to a group and I was driving home and um, the guy that I was dating at the time was being a little bit of a jerk. He wasn't really being abusive, but he had, 
he wasn't treating me as nicely as I had wanted to be treated or I felt like I deserved to be treated. And I was thinking about some things that were said at the meeting and all of a sudden I was furious. I was livid. Maybe even disproportionately angry at this particular person, but it it occurred to me that I was very, very, very angry and never expressed how mad I was about anything. And so all this other anger started coming up out of me and I didn't want to be abusive to anybody. Um, so I had to figure out ways to channel that anger or at least manage it in a way that was semi-healthy because I was not even in close to being in recovery per se or active recovery um, at that time. But I, I guess, you know, for me, one of the things that I managed or figured out to do to manage my anger was I started journaling. So I started writing down things that made me mad. And um, I've done journaling off and on for a very long time. It's very helpful. Um, and this is actually coming back into vogue now uh, with bullet journals. And um, there's a miracle morning routine that a lot of people do. And part of that is writing and journaling. And um, these this journaling, for the most part, I believe is well obviously bullet journaling is done by hand handwriting so um and i believe that the miracle morning should be done by hand as well so my point of bringing this up is that i i my personal belief is that it's important that you actually take a pen and paper and you write these things down by hand without using a computer because there is more of a connect from what happens in your head and getting it to go out through your body onto a piece of paper versus typing it or narrating it into a piece of technology. Um, yes, it's good to talk about it. Yes, it's good to get it out if, if, if that's what works for you. But I think scientifically, I probably will be backed on this. I don't have the numbers or anything. But there is definitely something that goes along with the actual writing of it it's slower when you have to write with a pen or pencil than it is when you're typing we can type very very quickly but when you have to slow it down to put those words on paper it slows down your thought and it gives your body a chance your whole body i'm saying gives your body a chance to process what it is that's going on in your head so i i do believe in journaling in the old-fashioned way and on a piece of paper um but yes and then um, another thing is sleep disorders. So I have always been a very light sleeper. And when I was a child, um, weird as it is, you know, I lived in constant fear because I never knew when I was going to get yelled at or punished for something. But when I went to sleep at night, we had to sleep, my sister and I, because we slept in the same room. So we did a lot of the same things. Um, we had to have the door open just to crack so that we could see the light and we could hear the TV. And I'll tell you to this day, I have to have some kind of noise like that TV. Fans don't work for me. I know a lot of people have to have the fan on to sleep. It doesn't work for me. White noise. 
I need some kind of background sound, so like a TV, a radio, that kind of thing. Um, and I, like I said, I sleep very lightly, so it's very difficult to come into my room and, you know, not disturb me when I'm sleeping. And maybe this goes back, there were a couple times, there was more than once, I know, when I was very little, and I mean like maybe five or six years old, which made my sister even younger, um, we were home alone, and my parents had been drinking, and I guess the house got silent or something, we didn't hear them talking or whatever, and we both woke up, and they were gone, and what had happened was they thought we were sleeping and we would sleep through it and they ran up the street on like a beer run or something and left us in the house alone which I don't know what the laws were then but we were way too young to be left alone in a house way too long and it was terrifying and um they were only gone for a couple minutes and came back and of course they see us in hysterics and they did what they could to get us back into bed um but there were a, another thing that happened more than once, and of course, alcohol is involved in this too. Uh, don't know what the exact problem was, but we would wake up and hear all this screaming and yelling and hearing dishes breaking, and there would be my parents in the kitchen, and my mother would be pulling dishes out of the cupboards and throwing them at my father. And so here we are, we're waking up to this chaos, and we can't even come into the kitchen to find out what's going on, you know, or make sure that our parents are okay because that's what we had to do you know because there was glass all over the floor so yeah those are the kind of things that I would have to go through um eventually my parents stopped drinking but there were moments even later where my mother couldn't sleep and I don't know for her crazy self she would insisted everybody got up and start cleaning the house at like 10 or 11 o'clock or whatever it was I mean it was well past bedtime and she couldn't go to sleep so she's waking us up and we're supposed to be sleeping we probably got school the next day I know my father had to work and she's on some kind of rampage because she can't sleep and it's everybody else's fault so you know these are my sleep issues or where they came from I am very careful when I try to go to bed, like, I can't watch certain things, or certain things I can't do at night, like, I can't pay bills before I go to bed, because it'll keep me up, you know, I have to do that earlier in the day, I have to be careful about watching any kind of horror movies, and that kind of thing, just because it affects me, it didn't, the horror movies didn't used to affect me the way they do now, I don't know, I'm older, so, you know, things in me have changed, and, um, but yeah, I still have problems sleeping, um, so why did I talk about this and why did I bring all of this up after spending so much time talking about my, my ex-husband and the abuse that he did when I'm really talking about surviving my childhood and I did want to explain that a little bit and so if I'd have had a different childhood I never would have put up with what he did to me. That's the first thing and Figuring out why it is that I attracted people, attracted keyword, uh, past tense, people to me who did not respect me and did not appreciate me for who I am or as a human being, even in some cases, um, 
really does go back to the programming that I had as a child and my sense of self-worth when I turned 18. So, you know, that magic number where you become an adult and are expected to have adult relationships. I had to, I had to work on that part of myself. And the other thing is, um, when you get a bunch of people together who are surviving abuse, there's always this sense of hope that the abuser will change. And I'm going to try it very lightly here because I really do want to be fair to everybody. So the general consensus is that abusers do not change. And I sort of agree with that, and I sort of don't. I sort of don't. So, to give it some perspective from my point of view, if I was to apply this to my own life, I would never, ever, ever go back to my ex-husband. No matter what he did for me, no matter what he said to me, I would never go back to him. And the reason why is because we have this established dynamic where we interact with each other or interacted with each other in a way that was not healthy. So did he abuse his second wife? I don't know. I don't care. Is it possible for somebody to change? I have to say yes. If he came back with me, would he say he did hypothetically change and didn't abuse her if he ever came back to me, which like I said would never happen. But if he did, would he be in um, a relapse possibly would I relapse very very possibly so it's like I had said before um, this is kind of like an addiction if you're uh, suffering from certain types of substance abuse and you go back to the places where you used to use or you you know what is the likelihood that you're going to relapse and go back to using those substances again it's the same same general principle. You have to stay away from the things that make you ill. It's that simple. But here's the other thing. At a certain point in my recovery, I had a, a light come on in my head. I'll put it that way. Where I could continue to blame my mother for my problems. Or I could put on my big girl panties and say, look, I don't need my mom anymore. I'm a grown up. I need to take responsibility for what's going on in my life. And that's a critical turning point in my life because I was no longer her child anymore. Even though biologically, yes, I was her child. I was, you know, part of the family tree, but I was no longer a child. I broke that dependence, not just in the physical sense as far as paying my own bills and, you know, things that you do as a responsible adult. But I also broke that dependence in my head that uh, I still needed a mommy because obviously I wasn't going to get that kind of nurture from her ever. And I never, ever, ever did. So I had to nurture myself. But this is vitally important here. This is an important thing because while we are in our community as survivors and we keep saying that abusers will never change. The truth of the matter is our own lives are never going to stop being the way they are unless we change as well. 
So, to be fair, and to say an abuser will never change, that's not entirely true. I cannot say that with 100% certainty any more than I can say that I mean, if I said something like that, it would be like saying, I can't change. And I'm living proof that it can happen. Um, but you have to make that decision. And you have to work. I'm going to say your program, because I keep making this analogy to a drug addiction. But yes, you have to work that program and go through the steps that you need to go through to clean out all the garbage and start putting something healthy and wholesome back into yourself to become a happier, healthier person. And then from there, you can go on to live a more um, victorious, that's really, that is the word, victorious life where you are no longer a victim and you can be more than just a survivor. So hopefully you made it this far. I do appreciate, again, everybody listening. I hope that I'm helping somebody. I want to thank you so, so much. Please, see, please be safe. God bless. Bye-bye.